<sighs> Tired already? It's only 8 p.m. Almost midnight. <laughs> okay, mom. <laughs> it's my secret. I'm always tired. And yet, you're going to stay awake for like six more hours. True. Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. This week we're discussing Chapel Chapel 15. <laughs> Chapter 15. Kettle. Finally get to Kettle. Yeah. Kestrel, been- as her name truly is, I believe. I didn't look it up, but I think it's Kestrel. Hmm. I don't remember that. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> so the epigraph of this chapter... We told you guys we'd do it. Yes. (laughs) The epigraph is talking about Queen Ketrickin and the general opinion of her leaving while she was pregnant versus staying and what would have happened. So the beginning talks about like, oh, a lot of people say if she had stayed, she would have had a better chance of, you know, having her baby born healthy and people could have rallied around Buckkeep then and. The Farseers would have kept the throne. Also, the people in the outer duchies would have had somebody to rally behind. So they would have been stronger against the Out Islander force. And it's kind of a lot of pressure to put on a woman (laughs) who is not from the area and wasn't well liked at the time, which is what Fitz or the author remarks in the next paragraph that the people who really knew what the political climate of the time and who were actually at the castle all kind of agree that she made the best choice yep. and that what she was doing, she thought was safest for her child. Yep. Cause she was under attack and has continued to be under attack through rumors and disinformation as well, since she has fled. And so when she got back to the mountains, it details here that she searched for Verity searched for any trace of him, and eventually found that location where he and his guards were attacked. And among the remains, she found the blue cloak Verity had worn when she had last seen him, and his sheath knife. She returned to the royal residence at jean and mourned her husband as dead. And then, as months went by, she heard reports and intrickled some of the remnants of those guards. But they were unable to answer any questions about that and barely coherent at all and were dead set on returning to Buckkeep at all costs. And so eventually she came to believe that Verity and his guard had been attacked not only physically but by magic. So the false coterie were also there. They had disheartened and confused Verity's guard, she thought, in the employ of his younger brother, Prince Regal. And this is what precipitated her unceasing ill will toward her brother-in-law. Right. So first thing I want to say is poor Ketrickin has to mourn the death of her husband three times. Oh my gosh, yeah. We're on time two of three. But she truly believes him is dead in the mountains. She does not know he's alive. She does not have fits there to tell him that there is a skill connection still. He's okay. 
And we know that before, when Regal said he was dead, she believed it then because she didn't know that Fitz could be still connected to her husband. So poor Ketrickin is just kind of left out to dry most of the time because she can't know about Verity, I guess. Yeah. Well, she has no way of knowing at the moment either. Right. But Verity doesn't want to skill towards her because he's afraid that would tell Regal where she is and bring her into more danger. Yep, definitely. But I do also want to ask, do you think this was the coterie, Regal's coterie, confusing Verity's men? Or was this Verity doing a kindness to the men following him? I think it was a little bit of both. I think they were attacked by the Coterie, but I think the drive to get back to Buckkeep is Verity mm-hmm. sending go home to all of them and, you know, trying to save as many of them as possible. Right. I agree with that. So in the morning after sleeping over at Nick's place, they have a hammering on the door saying they're leaving in one hour. So the weather became right. <laughs> right. <laughs> And they have to pack up and get ready to go. And Fitz is anxious to leave. So he is up and at him immediately. He is pulling his boots on. He is ready. And Starling wants five more minutes of sleep and says, you go ahead down. I'll be I'll be there. That's me. Yeah. (laughs) This is essentially the two of us in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) There's breakfast in the morning there and... They're all kind of um, Fitz notices that it's kind of a family business. There's a lot of resemblance among the people who live there and are working there and eating at the table. And Nick is strolling in and saying, ready to go. The storm is just beginning, so it's perfect weather for us to get going. Covers our tracks, that sort of thing. And Starling comes down, eats a huge breakfast really fast. (laughs) (laughs) Right. To Fitz's astonishment because... Fitz has already kind of finished up and has had time to eat, and she just kind of demolishes everything. And they uh, they get ready to go, and Nick offers a little bit of a curveball as they're getting ready and says, Ah, Tom, can you drive a horse? Certainly. Well? Well enough, I said quietly. Good. Then we're ready to go. My cousin Hank was to drive, but he's breathing like a bellows this morning. Took a cough in the night. His wife won't let him go. But if you can drive a cart, he'll expect you to to adjust your fee, Starling broke in suddenly. By driving a horse for you, he saved you the cost of a horse for himself. And what your cousin could have eaten. Nick was taken aback for a moment. He glanced from Starling to me. Fair is fair, I observed. I tried not to smile. I'll make it right, he conceded, and hastened out of the kitchen again. In a short time, he was back. The old woman says she'll try you. It's her horse and wagon, you see. Still dark outside as they're getting ready to load up, so Fitz is just kind of glancing around and looking at all of the pilgrims. Can't really get a clear look at all of them at the moment. Right. And there's also a bunch of guards and other men with Nick as well. And we get our first description of Kettle. A little old woman swathed all in black sat erect on the seat of this cart. She was well bundled in cloak, hood, and shawl, with a traveling blanket thrown across her knees as well. 
Her sharp black eyes watched me carefully as I walked around her rig. She is described repeatedly by Fitz as very old, uh, has very gnarled and twisted hands from arthritis. Right. And she's kind of snappy, but not unpleasant in the way that Lady Time was. (laughs) Right. Also, I should mention that her hair is not fully gray or even white, but there are streaks of white in her hair, which is a little odd considering... Like her arthritic gnarled hands, yeah. <laughs> like kind of that description to me is making me think like very elderly woman, not someone with slightly graying hair. It's interesting because the way he describes it seems like it is pure black and pure white. Yes. It's, her hair was glistening black where it peeped from her hood, but not all of the white in it was snow. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair... I'm pretty young and have a lot of white hair and like, well, not a lot. I, I notice it, but yeah, it's like, but like 10 total. in my, yeah, in my family, we go gray pretty early. So I know that's not everyone's case. I know some people don't gray until they're in their fifties or sixties. So it's not necessarily super telling of age, but it is interesting. So Fitz goes up to her, says good day. I think I'm supposed to be driving you, I said genially. You think. Don't you know? She peered at me sharply. Hank has been taken ill. Nix asked if I would drive your mare. My name is Tom. I don't like changes, she told me, especially not at the last minute. Changes say you weren't really ready in the first place, and now you're even less ready. I suspected I knew why Hank was suddenly feeling poorly. My name is Tom, I introduced myself again. You already said that, she informed me. (laughs) She stared off into the falling snow. This whole trip was a bad idea, she said aloud, but not to me. And no good is going to come of it. I can see that right now. She kneaded her gloved hands in her lap. Damn old bones, she said to the falling snow. If it weren't for my old bones, I'd not need a one of you. Not a one. So, just a quick aside. We know that she is literally hundreds of years old. Yeah, I think it, at uh, least in my over head, one. Yeah, in my head, I think she's about 200. Yeah, but I don't know if that's accurate or not. Over 100. Definitely doesn't look her age because of skill healing. But I'm wondering, I think we've already touched on this a little bit. Why doesn't she skill skill heal the arthritis right now? You know what I mean? Like, why is she suffering in pain? If she has I the ability. don't believe you can skill heal yourself. That's right. That's she we talked about before. Yeah, I believe her story is that she made herself more beautiful with the skill, which was kind of common, but like also kind of frowned upon. Right. She and, overdid it. And like um, slept with her sister's like husband or whatever. Right, I think. right, right. And... I don't know if she killed her sister or whatever, but she was eventually like exiled from the coterie kind of thing. And I don't think she uh, does much skilling at all anymore. Right. I think they I don't know if they sealed her or what. I don't remember her full thing. So I'm I'm excited to get into it. Yeah. They couldn't have sealed her because she helps Verity make the dragon. True. But he could unseal her. If she knows the word or the 
whatever. True. I guess we don't know enough about skill to understand all of the flaws or strengths of it. But anyway, she is elderly and she is hurting in the snow and very grumpy because of the hurt or because of that's just who she is. Fitz isn't sure, but he's going to put up with it. And I honestly feel like the fact that she's a kind of grumpy old woman <laughs> makes her think of Chade, the grumpy old man in his life, and is probably what makes her become endeared to him. Right. Just the familiarity of a buck person <laughs> that is grumpy and old. <laughs> and fits readily, you know, helping out any elderly person around him. Yes. He's like <laughs> a Boy Scout in that manner. <laughs> So I just quick looked up on uh, Robin Hobb, uh, elderlings.fandom.com, um, just to quick get my history correct about Kettle before I continue. She's about 250 years old, and she and her twin sister, Gall, were both romantically involved with the leader of their coterie. Right. And when Kestrel or Kettle found out, she flew into a rage and killed her sister. And that's why she uh, got driven out and her skill was blocked. Okay. And she was exiled from the the six duchies. I mean, I guess really we could wait because this was probably going to happen like four chapters from now at most. (laughs) But it is good to remind ourselves, you know, the details what's going on. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of characters and a lot of different things and a lot of books. So, yes, (laughs) easy to misremember or forget. So we have an interesting little introduction to Kettle there, and then Starling rides up on a short mountain pony and is complaining about the size of her horse, and Fitz is like, they're all like that, and they're really good in the mountains, it's fine, and then Nick comes up on the same kind of horse, and Starling shuts up. (laughs) (laughs) So he, Nick, gathers together everybody, quietly commands everybody, but everything is instantly obeyed, and they get moving. The snow is falling. It's a big storm and it's very, very heavy snowfall. Right. And the rules are simple. Stay quiet and make sure you keep an eye on the cart in front of you because it is very easy to lose people in this storm. Right. If you wander away, you're going to get lost, which is the point of traveling in this weather. And the journey is quite long, but uneventful because... He's passing, you know, maybe another farmhouse, but then the rest is like on a trail. So he takes time to study uh, Kettle on the wagon. Buckstock, obviously, the accent of my home was on her tongue still, though faded by many years of travel in other places. Her headscarf was the work of Chaucid weavers, but the embroidery along the edges of her cloak, done black on black, was totally unfamiliar to me. You're a long way from home, from Buck, boy, she observed abruptly. She stared straight ahead as she said it. Something about her tone set my back up. As are you, old woman, I replied. She turned her whole face to look at me. I was not sure if I glimpsed amusement or annoyance in her bright crow eyes. That I am, years and distance alike, a long way. She paused, then asked abruptly, Why are you bound for the mountains? I want to see my uncle, I replied truthfully. She gave a snort of disdain. A buck boy has an uncle in the mountains, and you want to see him enough to put your head at risk? I looked over at her. 
He's my favorite uncle. You, I understand, go to Edith's shrine. The others do, she corrected me. I'm too old to pray for fertility. I seek a prophet. Before I could speak, she added, He's my favorite prophet. Almost, she smiled at me. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you travel with the others in the wagon, I asked her. She gave me a chill look. They asked too many questions, she replied. <laughs> Silent for a little bit, but then kind of chimes in and talks again to Fitz. Right. <laughs> it's interesting that she is so adamant that she doesn't like being around other people. She wants to be alone. She tells Fitz in this that she prefers to travel alone usually when she can, but she can't right now, so she has to be with people. And I think that's really interesting for someone who is striking up a pretty good conversation with Fitz. And I wonder what it is about him that makes people open up to him so quickly. True, true. I guess he's a person there, and even though she has, you know, she prefers to travel on her own, I bet she's lonely still. Do you think she knows that he is of royal lineage? Mm. Because he does have prominent Farseer features. True. But also, and she does, I think, say, you kind of look familiar. Right. So she might suspect it, but... I don't know. I think it would just be like an inkling at this point of like, right. oh, maybe he's from like Buckkeep itself, but not necessarily a royal. Right. I, And it's interesting, too, to think because we know that Fitz looks more like his father and his father presumably looks more like Fitz's grandmother because we know Verity looks more like Shrewd and... Shrewd is the one with the Farseer lineage. Right. Although Verity and Chivalry look enough alike to where Fitz Chivalry's child could pass as Verity's child. So it's all genetics, really, which probably very <laughs> similar. I mean, siblings, cousins, uncles, you know, people look similar and prominent features are carried throughout lines, family lines for a long time. But it's an interesting thought of like, maybe she knows now, maybe she doesn't. I don't know. They continue on their conversation briefly. Kettle is interested in what he's thinking about and what he does. And Fitz is just saying like, no, I'm just a shepherd. I'm not a minstrel who my friend is. And most of the time, I'm just a shepherd. And Kettle fin finally introduces herself, saying, you may call me Kettle. I'm Tom, I replied. And that's the third time you've told me, she reminded me. I just love <laughs> the last few pages. I just love the conversation there. <laughs> yes. Because I really like Kettle as a character. She's interesting. That's for sure. I think she's a fun character. Um, I do also want to say that Fitz is amused by the thought that Starling is giving Nick a hard time. And he thinks that he'll probably know the plan as soon as they set camp up because Starling will have gotten it all out of Nick. <laughs> yeah, Definitely. And so they continue on their journey. Fitz expects them to set camp as soon as nightfall hits. But as it gets darker, Nick just comes by with a lantern and says, follow the lantern in front of you. Mm -hmm. So there will be no stopping, even though they've gone throughout the day. So Because they started before sunrise, it is now sunset. <laughs> they are still going. 
Yeah, and it's pretty obvious now, eventually, that Nick had an objective and a place in mind to get to. Right. Because they find an old camp or building where they they stop and Nick halts the whole caravan and says, you know, get down, go inside, we'll spend the night here. He offers some more tidbits to Kettle as the mystery of who Fitz is and offers uh, his hand to her. She almost looks startled. I thank you, kind sir, she said quietly as I helped her down. You're welcome, my lady, I replied. She took my arm as I guided her toward the building. Pretty damn well-mannered for a shepherd, Tom, she observed in an entirely different voice. She gave a snort of laughter at the door and went inside, leaving me to go back and unhitch the mare. I shook my head at myself, but had to smile. I liked this old woman. (laughs) Yeah, it's cute. Their friendship is cute. And Kettle is a crotchety old woman that I love. (laughs) But Fitz did kind of slip up here because a regular old shepherd shouldn't really know manners. Right. I mean, not that they can't know manners, but how to treat a lady like when you're having them disembark from a carriage probably isn't well thought of or well taught to shepherds. Right. Exactly. So Fitz has a conversation with Nick about what this building originally was, and Nick explains a little bit about what he and his family did beforehand, that this used to be a sheep camp where they sheared the sheep, and now it's kind of, you know, barren, and there's not enough to even feed one goat here anymore, so they just use it as a camp. Nick also says... That was a long time ago with a faraway look in his eyes. And I specifically underline this because last chapter, Fitz put Nick at around 25-ish years old. And Fitz is guessing, but it's interesting because we know that this flood and fire and drought is what caused the lack of land to for cattle and livestock and we also know that this happened early in king shrewd's king kingship i don't well it it wasn't um his reign it would be Uh, but it wasn't you know guaranteed that it was early right i don't believe it ever said like it happened early but it did happen during king shrewd's reign so we put it at most like what 40 years ago or something like that Yes, I think that's what we said, but early in King Shrewd's reign, the country surrounding the northeast side of the lake was renowned for its grain fields and orchards. Oh, okay. So early in the reign, it was known as being productive. Yeah. Produceful. (laughs) Words are not coming easily to me today, apparently. But early in King Shrewd's reign is when it was at the height so yeah. I guess that doesn't necessarily count it as wrong that perhaps 20 years ago is when the drought started happening. Yeah, could definitely. So Nick was alive. Yes, he was alive. <laughs> he could be a little bit older than Fitz supposes. That's true. He could be a young looking 40 year old. <laughs> you or never 30, know. just another five or 30, years. You know? yeah. <laughs> but so, yeah, I just thought that was really interesting that we have a little bit more of a semblance of a timeline to when things are going on in the duchies. 
So they settle down and have a meal, and Fitz gets his first big look at the group of pilgrims that they're with. Kettle sits kind of by herself. Starling instantly, you know, does her minstrel thing, and even though Nick said, you know, be quiet, he doesn't oppose her singing out softly different things. But he sees all of these about 15 pilgrims of mixed age and gender, not counting Kettle. And there's about a dozen smugglers as well, of whom six had enough resemblance to Nick and Pelf that they were at least cousins. The others of those uh, dozen smugglers were a mixed bunch, professionally tough and watchful, and at least three were on watch at all times. They spoke little and knew their tasks well enough that Nick directed them very little. I found myself feeling confident that I would see at least the other side of the river and probably the mountain border. It was the most optimistic I'd felt in a long time. And so, as I said, Starling takes advantage of a group of people, as usual. (laughs) Right. And sings songs directed at the different groups. So sings of a famous bandit towards Nick and his fellow smugglers. Sings of a winding river road that carried folk home to the pilgrims. And a lullaby to the three children as well. Kettle is bossing, fits around, and he just... (laughs) Goes and grabs like her bed and whatever. And <laughs> I suppose there was something about me that made all elderly folk assume my time was at their disposal. <laughs> yeah, well, he's used to it. So. <laughs> <laughs> he is. And he was trained to do this from a young age. So, but he does. He goes out to the carts and gets Kettle's things and he lays out their bedrolls near each other. It's cute. It's fun that. He has taken so much of a liking to Kettle so quickly. I feel like Fitz doesn't ever like somebody this quickly. And maybe it's because Kettle is older, so there's less to fear about flirting or misreading a situation. So he's less on guard. But it is nice to see Fitz spread his wings a little, I guess. I feel like Fitz wants a place and he's not the person to like starling go into the middle and tell stories or make friends or anything so he's assigned to this task kettles was with him the whole day so he's like this is my place now yeah and is comfortable there and will open up with that group because he was assigned it you know he's the kid in class that is better with small groups than the whole class. The quiet <laughs> right. kid who never raises their hand, but once you're, you know, one-on-one or in a small group, they talk and participate and everything like that. <laughs> I can't relate. <laughs> Fitz is trying to sleep, and he's almost asleep when he hears, My brother? My whole body jerked with the shock of it. He was near. Night eyes? Of course amusement or do you have another brother now never only you my friend where are you where am i outside come to me so fitz gets up heads outside and he's ambushed by a joyous wolf and trampled on and he gets pushed face first into the snow and just (laughs) eats it (laughs) night eyes his favorite game to be honest Just sneak up on Fitz and make him fall face first in the snow. (laughs) Yep. Fitz asks, how did you know where to find me? And Night Eyes responds, how do you know where to scratch when it itches? I suddenly knew what he meant. 
I was not always aware of our bond, but to think of him now and to find him was suddenly no more difficult than to bring my two hands together in the dark. Of course I knew where he was. He was a part of me. You smell like a female. You have taken a new mate? No, of course not. But you share a den. We travel together, as a pack. It is safer so. I know. So Fix thinks of what they've gone through together, what he's gone through alone without Night Eyes, and thinks about Night Eyes and how Night Eyes is feeling. And he senses that Night Eyes thought that Fitz could not survive the hardships that he was going through, but he had also missed Fitz. Right. He had missed his form of thinking, the sorts of ideas and discussions that wolves never shared amongst themselves. Is that why you came back to me? I asked him. He stood up suddenly and shook himself all over. It was time to come back, he replied evasively. Then he added, I ran with them. They finally allowed me to be part of their pack. We hunted together. We killed together. We shared meat. It was very good. But I wanted to be the leader. He turned and looked at me over his shoulder, his tongue lolling out. I'm used to being the leader, you know. (laughs) Are you? And they would not accept you. Black Wolf is very large and quick. I am stronger than he is, I think, but he knows more tricks. It was much like when you fought hard at the pack. I laughed quietly and he spun on me, lifting his lips in a mock mock snarl. Be easy, I said quietly, warding him off with open hands. So, what happened? He flung himself down beside me. He is still the leader. He still has the mate and the den. He considered, and I sensed him wrestling with the concept of the future. It could be different another time. Fitz asks if he's, if he's going to go back someday, and Night Eyes has to think a long time and then say, ask me again on that someday and I'll have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> right. I also would like to point out that Fitz asks while scratching behind Night Eye's ears and realize that Night Eyes is not paying attention at all, so he has to stop giving him pets <laughs> to be like, hey, we're talking. <laughs> Which I Good think pop. is cute. Their their relationship is so cute and they care for each other so much. And I think Fitz is always surprising himself with realizing how much that each other care. Right. I mean, yeah. they're both surprised in this that Though they hadn't been thinking about it, they were worried about each other. They just put off thinking about it, and they're really relieved to see that the other is okay now. Yeah. And I think it's just a really wholesome (laughs) moment that we get to appreciate Night Eyes being back and, you know, this joyful reunion and there's teasing and there's something definitely in this undercurrent of talk of why is Night Eyes back but for the most part, it's a happy reunion. It's, I'm glad you're here, brother. Mm-hmm. But Fitz does need to get to the bottom of that, and he asks, But I still don't understand why you came back to me. You could have stayed with the pack. His eyes met mine, and even in the darkness, they gripped me. You are called, are you not? Did not your king howl to you, come to me? I nodded unwillingly. I am called. He stood suddenly, shook himself all over. He looked off into the night. If you are called, I am called too. He did not admit it willingly. You do not have to come with me. This call from my king binds me, not you. In that you are wrong. What binds you 
binds me. I do not understand how that, that could be, I said carefully. Nor do I, but it, it is so. Come to me, he called to us, and for a time I could ignore it, but no more. I am sorry, I groped for a way to express it. He has no right to you, I know that. I do not think he intended to call you. I do not think he intended to bind me. But it happened, and I must go to him. And Fitz is feeling very ashamed here. He's feeling very guilty. Verity was a man who Fitz trusted, and he had done that to Fitz, which Fitz didn't expect or want, but it also had binded, uh, bound Night Eyes, right. his partner, inadvertently. And I honestly feel like realizing that Night Eyes is bound to this call is what hurts Fitz the most and makes him feel like, you know what, maybe this wasn't right of Verity. Yeah. And I have very mixed feelings on it myself. On the one hand, I'm glad Verity did this because it's keeping Fitz out of trouble. It is taking him away from the danger he was putting himself in. But on the other hand, it's taking away his free will. And that's not super great. <laughs> right. No, it's not at all. And again, Fitz doesn't even know if he meant to call him or anything right. like that. But it happened and it's not great. <laughs> yeah. But Fitz is thinking uh, through him, through that call... Night Eyes was entrapped as surely as if I had caged him. We share a cage, then, Night Eyes says. I wish it were otherwise. I wish there were some way I could free you of this. But I do not even know how to free myself. Not knowing how you are bond, bound, I do not know how to loose you. You and I, we share the wit. Verity and I, Verity and I share the skill. How could his skill sending have gone through me to seize you? You were not even with me when he summoned me. That I sat very still in the snow. The wind had come up, and in the faint starlight I could see it ruffling his coat. I am always with you, brother. You may not always be aware of me, but I am always with you. We are one. We share many things, I agreed. Une uneasiness itched at me. No. He turned to face me squarely, met my eyes as no wild wolf would have. We do not share. We are one. I am no longer a wolf. You are no longer a man. What we are together, I have no name for. Perhaps the one who spoke to us of the old blood would have a word to explain it. He paused. See how much a man I am, that I speak of having a word for an idea? No word is needed. We exist, and we are whatever we are. I would set you free if I could. Would you? I would not part from you. That is not what I meant. I meant I would have for you a life of your own. He yawned, then stretched. I will have for us a life of our own. We shall win it together. So, do we travel by night or by day? We travel by day. And they have a quick discussion on... Night Eyes trying to convince Fitz to leave that large pack to travel just the two of them. And Fitz saying, like, no, I literally have to because i would not survive <laughs> right but to back up a little because that's kind of a big it's a big concept in the books right that they are one thing and i think this might be an explanation as to why it's so different for fits and night eyes when night eyes dies because i don't think this is normal for other witted people we don't 
have any other examples of witted people getting skilled to do something to know if when they're skilled, their skill partner also is skilled in that way, at least that we know of. <laughs> but Fitz is connected to Night Eyes in this, in Black Rolf's way of phrasing it, perverse way. Borderline, yeah. Just way too linked, way too close. Yes. And I wonder if that part of that is because they shared a body for so long. That's kind of my thoughts as well, uh, partially. But I also think that since they weren't trained initially, they just dove in together. Right. As newly bonded people and just, you know... Even before they, yeah, even before they shared a body, Night Eyes completely took over Fitz's body when Fitz needed to, you know, pass out and let go right. to heal. And Fitz has occupied Night Eyes's mind. Right. But I don't know. I feel like before there was a line, and this is all in my head. I don't think this is supported by text by any means. But in my mind, there was still a line because both of their bodies were still doing well and alive. It almost felt more like a body switch some of the time, like when Night Eyes took over and whenever Fitz shares mine with Night Eyes, he doesn't do it for a super long time and he pulls back because he realizes he shouldn't be doing it. And so I think the prolonged exposure has intertwined their souls in a way that cannot be undone. Yeah, I I mean, I I agree with that. But my point is, like, for the beforehand, I think even though there was a line, I don't I think in the mind of the old blood, there should have been a canyon. Sure. Not a line. So I think they were too close to begin with anyways. And then now they did share a body and got separated out again. So, right. No. Yeah, I think that makes sense. It just I don't know. I, I wonder if Fitz had never died in the dungeon if this all would have happened, like if Night Eyes would have been called through Verity's skill command at Fitz or if in death he would still be with Fitz and be able to travel to B's consciousness, you know? Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. But I do want to ask, do you think if Verity had not called out with the wit or sorry, with the skill that Night Eyes would have come back? Um, maybe eventually, because Fitz does say that Night Eyes feels that Fitz couldn't survive those ordeals, and they're still linked, they're still brothers. But if there was not the skill calling and Night Eyes did beat Black Wolf and gained and became leader of that pack, I don't think it would have been for a long time. Hmm. Okay. I almost feel like Night Eyes might have stayed just because possibility, you know, I think he's downplaying how much he wanted to stay to Fitz in this moment because he knows it would hurt Fitz's feeling. I don't know if there's that much thought being put into it, but I think maybe also for himself to be like, well, I didn't really want to stay anyway because I couldn't be the leader, but I don't know. And so eventually... People are worried about him because he left the building. I don't know if worried is the right word. I think it's more worried for or worried about him. Yeah, exactly. More like worried for themselves. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, same th- worried about him either wandering away, right. giving him away, or worried about his well-being, and he needs the money still. Whatever it is, right. Nick is looking for him. So he calls out, uh, Tom, Tom, are you out there? And Fitz comes back and says, I was just going to the bathroom. But by the way, my dog made it to me, and um, he's going to come along with us. Is that okay? And then he says, come here, boy, heal. And Nighteyes says, I'll chew your heel off for you. <laughs> but he came, following me out into the cleared yard. Damn big dog, Nick observed. He leaned forward. Looks more than half a wolf to me. Fitz passes off like, oh, it's a buck breed. We use it to herd sheep. You will pay for this, I promise you, Nighteyes says. In answer, I lean down to pat his shoulder, then scratch his ears. Wag your tail, Nighteyes. He's a loyal old dog. I should have known he wouldn't be left behind. The things I endure for you. He wagged his tail once. (laughs) And uh, he goes back inside. Night Eyes kind of stands guard and is outside of the building at this point. However, Starling does come up as well. As Fitz is going back inside and leaving Night Eyes out. Yep. And she says, what's that? She demanded, sounding almost alarmed. I suddenly had to wager everything on her quick wits and our friendship. Just the dog, I said quickly. Night Eyes must have chewed his rope. I warned Kreese to watch him when I left him there, and that he'd want to follow me. But Kreese didn't listen, and here he is. I guess I'll have to take him to the mountains with us after all. Starling was staring at the wolf. Her eyes were as wide and black as the night sky above us. Nick tugged at her arm, and she finally turned back to the door. I suppose so, she said faintly. I silently thanked Ida and any other god that might be listening. Tonight, as I said, stay in guard. There's a good fellow. Enjoy it while you can, little brother. He flung himself down by the cart. I doubted that he'd stay there for more than a few heartbeats. And they go back inside, and Nick shuts the door, and Fitz says... Sleep was suddenly very close as I grasped the full relief I felt. Night Eyes was back. I felt whole, safe with the wolf at the door. So I think it's really cute that Night Eyes is number one playing along, but number two, really not happy about having to pretend to be a dog. (laughs) He truly does not like being compared to a dog. But it's also... Good that Starling played along. Yes, 100%. Not very well, not super convincingly, but she does, and it works out. Fitz warns or tells Night Eyes, I'm glad you're here. Night Eyes says, you've got a funny way of showing it. (laughs) Kind of amused, but also annoyed. But Fitz does warn him that they had a warning from Black Rolf that... Regal seeks to turn those of old blood against us. He offers them gold to hunt us down for him. We should not speak overly much. Gold. What is gold to us or those like us? Do not fear, little brother. I am here to take care of you again. And Fitz is teetering on the edge of falling asleep and notices Night Eyes with, or excuse me, Starling with Nick, their heads together and Nick laughing once in a while and I should mention that this is not the first time he has seen Night Eyes and 
sorry, <laughs> did the same thing as me, Starling and Nick together before he went to see Night Eyes. He saw them sitting close and chatting by the fire or yeah, I guess there is a fire yeah. in here. Riding together as well. Yes. So they have been close before, but now Fitz is seeing this and he's feeling a little bit jealous and then tries to push that feeling away and decides that the reason that she's not setting up camp near him is because she saw the wit partner and that it's easier to know somebody is witted than it is to see the wit beast that they're bond bonded to. And there's no way that this is just because she had already been flirting with Nick beforehand. It is definitely night eyes. Which kind of partially, but also he is deluding himself as well. (laughs) He just expects the worst out of people's opinions. And I mean, well, he also is doing it to not be hurt himself. He's trying to push away his jealousy and like not have that ugly feeling there. So he's trying to lie to himself about that. Right. But I do want to say that I do understand the need to protect yourself like that and to just assume that everyone thinks that way about you because this is a magic that isn't highly looked upon and people are literally being killed as, as this is going on for having wit magic. So I get his readiness to believe the worst in people's thoughts on his wit use, but it is sad to see him immediately turn to, Oh, clearly it's because of the wolf. Right. So Fitz decides it's time to go to sleep. But as he is trying to sleep, he feels the brush of skill against his consciousness. And he comes awake again. Yes. And he at first worries that it may be Verity. He knows that Verity is in a weakened state, so maybe he can't really fully get to Fitz. But he's afraid to let his walls down because if he does, then it could be Will. And it would be a trap. So there's this odd moment of hesitation of, do I follow this to see who it was? And then he realizes that the mind he felt brush his own was Regal's. I had never skilled to Regal, had only suspected he was able to skill. Even now, I doubted what I sensed. The strength of the skill seemed Will's, but the feel of the thought was Regal's. And you have not found the woman either. The skilling was not meant for me. So Fitz has become privy to a skill conversation. Yeah. Between the coterie members. Yes. And there is this touching on. It's definitely Regal's skill. And yet. It's definitely Regal's thoughts. Yes. And yet he's using Will's strength. And Will's skill, technically. So this does beg the question, does that mean Regal has skill? I'm sure he has the predilection for it because he is a farseer, but he was never trained as a young boy. And even if he was, I don't believe he would have been strong at all. It's just so interesting because so we have heard of the concept of a king's man before this, where a person lends their strength to their king, but we've never seen it in practice quite the way we are about to see Regal use it. Because 
I don't believe this is a Kingsman thing. I think this is a wholly new thing because being a Kingsman, you lend your strength, but the king wields it because you're freely giving it from your body to somebody else. But throughout this conversation, Fitz continually says that, like, this is Will's skill, but Regal has complete control over it at this point. Right. It's just such an interesting... Would that not be, then, a factor of Kingsman? It's. I feel like it's close, but the distinction is there where the Kingsman's strength is flowing into, let's say, for example, uh, chivalry is skilling out something, pulling from Beric, and it's chivalry's skill doing whatever he's doing. He's just gaining strength from Beric. Right. But this way is... If if chivalry was taking Beric's skill and using it itself. A little bit distinct because then there's no drain as well on chivalry's strength. It's just on Beric. And instead of like using the Kingsman, you're augmenting your own strength with the Kingsman's like well of strength to help you. Right. So I feel like there is it's almost like a self-imposed buffer or like since Regal doesn't really have skill, it's there's nothing for him to do except use Will's uh, skill. And as we see in here a little bit later, he uses it to torture another member of the Coterie. And Fitz is even wondering if that would be possible if it were not Regal doing that. If another member of a Coterie could hurt, you know, another member without causing immense, immense pain to everyone because they're all linked. Right. We know we know Kettle did kill her sister. Yes. And they were part of a coterie. But that like destroyed that coterie as well. Yeah. <laughs> and this seems like a common occurrence. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, also, this is a weird coterie and the way they yes. are linked could be different than others. True. It could be skill imposed by Galen to easy, make it easier to control for Regal. But so Regal is asking about if they had found the woman and then also if they had found the bastard or heard anything of the bastard. So we can assume that he was asking after Molly, yes. he's asking after Fitz and probably the first one since the first question that Fitz heard was, and you have not found the woman either, was probably about Chade. Right. The first person to answer Regal's questions is Burl. And Fitz can sense how afraid Burl is and can also sense that Regal was enjoying the fear. He notes that Regal had never been able to grasp the difference between fear and respect. He had no belief in a man's respect for him unless it was tainted with fear. I would had not thought he would extend that to his own coterie. I wondered what the threat was that he held over them. Very Machiavellian. Yes. <laughs> So Burl says, I have found no sign of him. I believe he is dead, truly dead this time. He cut himself with a poisoned blade. The despair he felt at that moment of decision was absolute. No man could have pretended it. Then there should be a body, should there not? Somewhere, my king, I'm sure there is. Your guards have simply not found it yet. This from Carid, who did not tremble with fear. He hid his fear even from himself, pretending it was anger. I understood how he might need to do that, but doubted the wisdom of it. It forced him to stand up to Regal. Regal did not appreciate a man who spoke his mind. 
Perhaps I should put you in charge of riding the roads, looking for it, Regal suggested pleasantly. At the same time, you might find the man who killed Bolt in his patrol. My Lord King, Carrot began, but silence, Regal overrode him. He drew freely on Will's strength to do it. The effort cost him nothing. I believed him dead once before, and my trust in the word of others nearly got me killed. This time I will see him, see him hacked in pieces before I rest. Will's feeble attempt to trap the bastard into betraying himself failed miserably. Perhaps he is already dead, Carrot ventured foolishly. Then I witnessed a thing I wished I had not. A needle of pain, hot and piercing, he sent to Carrot with Will's skill. In that sending, I finally glimpsed the whole of what they had become. Regal rode Will, not like a man rides a horse, to be thrown by the horse in anger, but as a tick or a leech bites its victim and clings and sucks life from him. Waking or asleep, Regal was with him always, had access always to his strength. And now he spent it viciously, caring nothing for what it would cost Will. I had not known pain could be inflicted with skill alone. A numbing blast of strength such as Verity had spent upon them, that I knew. But this was different. This was no show of force or temper. This was a display of purest vindictiveness. Somewhere, I knew, Carrot fell to the floor and thrashed in wordless agony. Linked as they were, Burl and Will must have shared a shadow of that pain. It surprised me that a member of a coterie was even capable of doing that to another. But then, it was not Will who sent the pain. It was Regal. And so that paragraph right there is what has me convinced that this is not a Kingsman lending strength. Right. Partially because Fitz knows that Regal is always attached. It's not a horse that the horse can, like with a rider on it, that the horse can buck the rider off. Mm -hmm. Because Verity, when he was draining, Fitz was always under the assumption like, hey, you, you can stop me when I'm taking too much. Right. But this seems like Regal is attached and Will cannot get him off. Yeah, it's very interesting. I think the concept is too big for my tiny brain to understand. <laughs> I'm having a really hard time understanding how this would work in practice, that it, in the way that it is different from being a Kingsman. I think because I, I want to understand how it gets to this point. Does it start off as like a Kingsman re relationship or something? It, does it start off this parasitic way see i think this is one of the new things that will has learned right or something like that from the scrolls and from fitz's point of view and his understanding which we read from this is entirely out of bounds for him he didn't know this any of this was possible so right. i feel like we will never understand fully right what came about from this yeah it's definitely interesting to wonder about whether or not this is a skill learned from the skill scroll or not, I think. And also the pain. I wonder if this is a new invention of sorts because of how Fitz used the wit. Because when Fitz uses his wit through the skill, he physically hurts people. And so I wonder if they were able to... Some, does, Well, yes. <laughs> but I wonder if they were able to reverse engineer to the best of their ability without having the wit, a way to Possibly. do that to people based off of what Fitz did. Possibly, yeah. Or maybe it is just something that they intrinsically know because Will has studied the scroll. Or I Galen taught them. 
where Galen taught Regal. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It's it's an interesting thought. And so Regal sends out his last instructions. I don't believe Fitz's dad basically someone killed Bolt and his men. So find Fitz's body and bring it to me, whether alive or dead. Uh, And he tells Burl to remain where he is and redouble his efforts. I am certain he is bound that way. Let no traveler pass you unchallenged. Carid, I think perhaps you should join Burl. An indolent life does not seem to agree with your temperament. Be on your way tomorrow, and as you travel, do not be lazy. Keep your minds upon your task. We know that Verity lives. He proved that to all of you most effectively. The bastard will try to get to him. He must be stopped before he does so, and then my brother must be eliminated as a threat. These are the only tasks I have given you. Why cannot you do them? Have you no thought for what will become of us should Verity succeed? Search for him with skill and men. Do not let folk forget what I have offered for his capture. Do not let them forget the punishment for aiding him. Am I understood? They agree. And uh, from this, I understand that Burl is ahead watching the mountain pass or the border into the mountains, at least. Right. And he's sending Carrot up there as well. Yes. And this is really interesting because we get a little bit of fear, maybe, from Regal, especially the line. Have you no thought for what will become of us should Verity succeed? I think that part is really interesting to me because I see Regal as not really caring about his brother or really thinking his brother is a threat in any way. But clearly he is. I guess a question that comes to my mind when reading this is, why does Regal think that there will be a punishment for him and his coterie members if Verity shows up? Why Why does he not think he could get out of it? Is this something that well, he thinks he could? If he succeeds. So that implies to me that either Verity knows, or excuse me, Regal knows what Verity is actually doing in Carving a Dragon, as we discussed before. Right. That Will has that, you know, ambition. Or... If he succeeds in finding some way to get an army or the elderlings help or something like that to come back. So the the key phrase for me is if Verity succeeds and he comes back, he'll have help at his heels, basically. Right. He'll be powerful enough to overthrow us. That's a good point that that's how he would. Because I was going to say, if he's just thinking like, what if Verity comes back? I feel like it'd be pretty easy for Regal to still maintain power he's done a pretty good job of slandering his brother and discrediting his brother's wife it feels like you know he has nothing to be worried about i've seen regal slither out of pretty bad situations right i feel like he's always has a slight paranoia about him as well and he's always been kind of afraid of his older brother's you know, not afraid enough to not attack them in any way, you know, but afraid that he never fully confronts him. And when Verity does go against him and like, hey, you're punished, he stayed quiet for a while. Right. I wonder if that like little bit of paranoia slash fear is because he can't grasp the concept that they would love him 
right. as a brother. Yeah. That there's no way they could possibly have respect for him because he doesn't respect them. And of course they would punish him in cruel and, and unusual ways. I wonder if the reason he was quiet for so long is because he is waiting for Fitz to kill him. Like he's right. waiting for an assassin to come yeah. and kill him just like they killed his mom. And when it didn't happen there, he's like, Oh, the assassins failed, you they're, know? Yeah. Or they're stupid or like, right. Yeah. I'm too smart to be <laughs> killed by an assassin or it'll happen at any point. So I might as well act first. Right. So I guess that is an interesting take of maybe it's because he can't imagine somebody loving him for no reason, which is really sad that he grew up thinking that, especially because I think even with as horrible as he was in the mountains, if he would have come back and actually tried to become better, I think he would have been forgiven by Verity. Yeah. I think Verity would have welcomed him with open arms and been like, great, we can rule the kingdom together. Yeah. He would have never trusted him again, but he would have welcomed, welcomed him back. Right. Especially after years of proving that he's actually loyal to the line. I don't know. It just, it's sad that Regal is such a smart character and so good at politics and moving pieces and making plans. And instead of using that to better the whole of the kingdom or to help the Farseer line, he uses that to destroy everything. Well... Not in his eyes. No. He takes what's rightfully his because he is royal. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I don't know. I just. And I feel like, honestly, especially if he was a good person, Verity would have stepped aside and and given him the throne. You know, if he would have proven himself worthy of it. Mm. You don't think Verity would step aside if Regal wasn't evil? I don't feel like Shrewd would have let him. We are talking about his favorite child, Regal, here. Yeah, but it was his favorite child already. And Verity was already the one who was crowned and said, like, you're next in line. So I feel like Shrewd was a big traditionalist. And he'd be like, mm-hmm. no, you're you're the king. We married you to Ketrakin. And maybe after Shrewd passed away and it was, like, secure, he could have, like, Verity could have, like, retired or something. Right. But I think for a while, Verity would have been king either way. That's fair enough. But as it is, Fitz breaks contact with the Coterie's conversation. Kind of a little bit scared because Burl lingers and everyone else breaks contact. And he's like, maybe Burl is reaching out for my presence or whatever. So breaks contact, tries to get back to sleep and reaches out to Night Eyes and says, I'm glad you're back. And he goes to sleep. Yeah. Well, tries to. <laughs> yes. After that conversation, (laughs) it would be a little hard to sleep, but also he had a long day, so maybe not so hard. Yeah, he slept a little bit before that conversation, so I don't know. Hard to tell. Well, he was feeling the most optimistic he had been for a while early on in the chapter, but the last (laughs) conversation has Regal convinced that he is not dead and telling the uh, the Coterie members to hunt for him. So. Also lets us know that Regal thought that probably Verity was dead and now he knows he is alive and well. Yep. So potentially that means that the target is right back on Verity's back 
and it wasn't necessarily prior to that incident. More guilt for Poor uh, Fitz, Fitz to internalize, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Fitz. <laughs> I'm going to say that the, we're going to chalk this chapter up to happy chapter. Oh, we are, are we? <laughs> ooh, ooh, I don't know. Okay. Maybe a hot take, but I think he spends most of the chapter happy. And I know True. normally he, he does get night eyes back as well. I can yes. I can see that. Yeah. And I know normally we are like, well, the last little paragraph says that he's happy. So we're going to ignore the rest of the chapter. But maybe this time <laughs> <laughs> to spice things up a little, give Fitz a little bit more happiness in his life. I think we should say he's happy this chapter. All right, we'll do that. Is Fitz happy this chapter? I guess so. Thank you so much for tuning in, listening to us this week. If you have anything to say about if he's happy or not, or about Regal and his paranoia and his how scared he is of Verity coming back or the different skill abilities that they have, please let us know. Email us at isfitshappy at gmail.com, or you can reach out at isfitshappy at Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And we always appreciate you guys telling your friends who like this series as well to... uh, uh, about our podcast, share us with them so we can talk to everybody. We like yeah. uh, growing the uh, growing the community. So thank yeah. you so much. Thanks, guys. 